banded together by a mutual yearning for the more simplistic times and random fun of the comic books of yesteryear. Alec Berry and Scott Gardner now travel back. Back to the bins! What's up, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins number 15. My name is Alec Berry. Hey, my name is Scott Gardner. And before we kick off into the normal reviews this week, we got a listener email, and this time it's uh, it's a serious email, nothing from Africa. You know, this is, uh, this is a real guy. You know, we're not getting any more uh, correspondence from Africa or South America or anything. Still waiting on that, what was it, $11 million or whatever. I haven't seen a penny of it yet. Me either. I'm kind of mad about it. I'm pissed off. But uh, this email is from a Mr. Matt Cohen, and he writes, Hey, guys. Hi. I'm a meter reader from Indianapolis, Indiana. I recently discovered your podcast and found something I've been seeking out of out of a podcast, one that looks back on some of the old classic stories from times past. Hearing about the new stuff coming out is all in well and good, but there are a lot of podcasts that do this already. I'm a big Marvel fan and have been reading them for years, so I particularly like the Marvel-focused episodes. Would you guys ever consider doing a podcast that focuses on one, partic- one particular storyline line from the past? I'd love to hear discussion on some of my favorites, such as the first appearance of Scrooge and Captain America, or the time when U.S. Agent first took over for Captain America for a while. The Avengers' big battle with the Masters of Evil in the Mansion would be good, Squadron Supreme, the old Quasar series, the West Coast Avengers... Just too many to list. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know I appreciate your show, and I'm going back and listening to all the old episodes of Back to the Bins. Thanks for the great podcast, Matt Cohen. I really like this email because... Me too. For one reason, and it's kind of like ever since I got into podcasting, it was, you know, like you have your listeners that are kind of all in the community, and you kind of know them already, and you know, know, they're just listening. But this one was cool because it seems like this guy really is just like he just stumbled across our show somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not really in like the forums or like all that. And it's just I, I like this email a lot. Uh, yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. I yeah. like that idea that he was just fishing around and, and happened to to come across us. That's great. That's fantastic. Welcome aboard, man. Yeah, and we have talked about the idea of like focusing on one story before. Like, you know, we we kind of. We have that in the in kind of the works for maybe a future episode to kind of go back and you know pick like a I don't know some like some sort of larger story that took past like took place in the past of comics and maybe focus on that for an episode or something or right you know kind of spice things up I like that idea well I had to laugh um, you you said something about he asked to cover um, the first appearance you said of Scrooge in Captain America oh, I man, think that might be Scrooge. Scourge. Yeah, my bad yeah. on that. No, no, that's cool. I, I, I just laughed because I, I was confused. I was like, Scrooge? Who the hell was Scrooge? And then it hit, hit me. He was probably talking about Scourge. Yeah, I would love to cover you know some of that stuff. Um, he it also mentioned uh, West Coast Avengers, and I'll just throw it out there that uh, that's something that uh, Will Sanchez will be covering shortly in his uh, Avengers Assemble podcast, which you know that's a really good show, and I'm hoping – you know, keep your fingers crossed. I'm hoping to get in on that particular episode. You know, when he covers that West Coast Avengers stuff, because the the original four issue mini was written by uh, Roger Stern, who's one of my favorite comic book writers. So I'm hoping to to sit in on that when they actually get around to that one. But uh, yeah, if you're looking for some West Coast Avengers love, you know, check out that show. Or, you know, keep your eye on that show. It's uh, Avengers Assemble. Um, 
beyond that, yeah, you you and I have both talked about this idea of, you know, we we pretty much want to stick with the format that we have episode to episode because we both think it works really well. I like the shortness of the episodes. You know, we pretty much get in and get out in about a half an hour or so, and I like that, so I don't want to tinker too much with that formula. However, you know, you and I have both commented a lot of times when the episode is done, we're like, man, we're just getting rolling too, so it would be nice to be able to do, you know, maybe expanded specials from time to time where we cover a particular, maybe a whole title or a whole... Uh, run or a particular storyline or something like that. You know that idea appeals to me quite a bit. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll continue to kick that idea around and see what we can come up with. And in the meantime, I'm, I'd just like to solicit people for more suggestions. You know, if there's something you definitely want to hear us talk about, let us know. I mean, <laughs> I love to talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's no secret, ladies and gentlemen. He loves to talk. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, you know, I, I do like taking suggestions. You know, it's, you know, we'll vent. Like as I said, you know, we can always look into them and go into them because I, you know, I take this too as you know, doing the show. It's like, you know, Scott, you, you actually kind of lived through most of the stuff actually coming out, and you've kind of got the background on it. But for me, it's kind of all like a history lesson on stuff I've missed out on, and it's like, you know, these listener suggestions are kind of good because it's like a chance for me to check out new stuff, right? You know, that I never read. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, listeners informing me of stuff that might be good. I I like that idea. I haven't heard too much feedback about it, but that dynamic you you just described, that's exactly why I enjoy doing this so much. Because, you know, like you said, a lot of this stuff, you know, I did live through, you know, actually bought a lot of it right off the stands as it was coming out, you know, a lot of the old 80s stuff. So it's really, it's like a walk down memory lane for me. But I like... You know, the other perspective of, you know, getting you in on it as a fresh pair of eyes and, and getting your take on it. I, I enjoy that. I think that dynamic is, you know, pretty cool. And I, to my knowledge, it's pretty unique in the world of podcasting. I haven't heard anybody else doing anything quite like that. You know, usually it's, you know, it's all young people discovering it together or it's all a bunch of old farts, you know, reminiscing about it. But it's not really, I haven't really heard that, that mix of young and old. So I like that. I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, I hope yeah. the listeners do too. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they fucking hate me. I don't know it. <laughs> but thanks for the email, Matt. And uh, glad to hear that you're listening. And uh, yeah, I, like I said, I really dug this email. I liked it a lot. Cool. If you at home want to send an email, please email it back to the bins at gmail.com. So there you go. Get typing. All right, Scott. Let's get into the action. I'm going to pass it off to you, and you can uh, discuss your comic of choice. All right. We are traveling this time back to February 2002, so just a a short jaunt back in time. This is Batman, Gotham Knights, number 24. Mm. Nice cover on this one by Brian Bolin, who's kind of hit and miss for me, but I like this particular cover a lot. It's just a really cool... uh, it's a shot of a building, and it's like a tiny Batman up in one corner. He's swinging by, and these uh, window washers are kind of turning to look at him and, you know, as he swings by them. So it's just kind of a simple cover, but really you know, very dynamic in the way it's pulled off. Um, written by Devin Grayson, art by Roger Robinson, and inked by John Floyd. The original cover price on this one was $2.50. Start right off. I remember that price tag. Oh, yeah. I wish they were still about that (laughs) price. 
uh, start right off, uh, great, great shot of Batman, um, it's it's an angle shot as if you were like standing in this dark alley looking up into this snow uh, snowfall, and Batman is just descending on this group of thugs, and he pretty quickly takes them all out, and uh, they're all armed with uh, semi-automatic weapons, and he rounds up all the weapons and smashes them, and then we see him streak off in his Batmobile, goes back to the Batcave, you know where uh, he has a shower and cleans up and everything, and the phone starts to ring, and he answers it, and then there's a great uh, splash page that's also the title page. It's a story called The Devil You Know, and he answers the phone, and it's a guy, uh, his name is uh, Eric from Felker Firearms, and he's calling to let Mr. Wayne know that the gun he ordered is ready to be picked up. And there's just a great shocked expression on Bruce Wayne's face where he just says, what? So, you know, he's trying to figure out what's what's going on. You know, is there some sort of confusion or what? And, uh, you know, the guy verifies that it's Mr. Wayne's credit card and everything, you know, that there's no mistake. So, you know, he he says he'll look into it and get back to the guy. He, uh, he descends into the Batcave. And right off the bat, you know, he walks into the dark and just says, what's going on? And, you know, there's this uh, word bubble that's drawn just very edgy and very creepily. So it's supposed to be, you know, this creepy voice or whatever. And it says, you know, you don't remember. And he basically gets into a conversation with himself Mm. where he is Bruce Wayne, who's actually acting very much like a, almost like a scared child and this big brooding, you know, very dark, very, uh, huge and menacing Batman is standing over him and basically confronting him, telling him that you have a phobia, you have a problem and it's time to deal with this problem. And, uh, then we, you know, we go into a flashback where one week ago, Wayne was, you know, at Wayne Enterprises. He's working away in his computer, and a disgruntled employee kicks in his door, runs in, and is waving a gun in Wayne's face. He puts the gun right up to Wayne's temple at one point, and it looks, you know, like he's really going to sh- shoot him. And uh, this security, uh, I guess she must be head of security or whatever, she gets the drop on the guy and puts a gun to his head and arrests him and takes him out. And as she's taking him out, we see Bruce Wayne, and the look on his face is very much like the look on his face when he was a kid and his parents were killed. He was just basically stunned, immobilized at this point. We go back to the confrontation in the cave where, you know, the Batman figure is basically telling him that, you know, you froze up, you were scared, what happened? And Wayne is trying to defend himself, but, the you know, the Bat side of his personality sees right through it and tells him that, you know, this is something you've got to get through. You've got to conquer your fears because you're putting us in danger. I don't know. I don't know. That's that. I'm not sorry to interrupt you again. No, that's cool. That seems a little off character for me. Like, I thought I that like, too. You, like, like you gotta get over your fears. It wasn't. I mean, fuck. You're looking at Bruce Wayne, probably what, and you know, uh, you know, he's probably been into his career for a couple of years now. Wouldn't you think he's kind of over his fear of uh, gunshots? I don't, I'm not buying this. (laughs) I'm sorry. 
I normally don't like these kind of stories where they where they go into the character's head like this and and give him what what equates to a split personality. But in this particular one, you know, I, I have just huge, huge regard for Devin Grayson as a as a writer, and I think she really gets into his head. While you know, I, I still am not crazy about the split personality type of thing. This is done in such a way that I don't know that it's so much a split personality as it is the two sides of of Bruce Wayne trying to come together where you know he he's got the bat side of him which is very much you know the persona that he tries to put out there you know dark and yeah. fearless and you know the dread avenger and all that sort of thing but somewhere inside of Bruce Wayne is still this scared frightened little boy who saw you know who witnessed the murder of his parents and i think that's very much what this story's playing on is the fact that you know deep inside batman no matter how scary he might be to criminals and all that is still this frightened little boy that the bat has to kind of clamp down on and and keep you know, locked, you know, to some dark recess of his, of his persona, you know, lest he come out and, and, you know, fuck up one of his attempts to, you know, take down a criminal or something. You know, he doesn't, he basically feels that, that this element of his personality, if he's not able to, to control it and clamp it down and get over this thing about guns, that eventually it's going to be his downfall. At least that's what I kind of got out of the story. And I really liked that angle of it. You know, it, it was just like you say. I'm not so sure about the about the way it was pulled off with it looking almost like he was uh, like schizophrenic or something. Yeah, but, I mean, like I, I can I can buy into the split personalities because when I think an individual, you know, like in the case of Bruce Wayne, uh, putting himself through that kind of you know uh, physical, you know, like that kind of situation where he is Batman, you know, he's 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 just a guy putting himself through training to you know fight crime. You're gonna be messed up in the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, is you know even if you're a superhero, I think you're going to be messed up in the head. But I, I can buy into that whole thing, but I can't buy into the whole fact that he's still afraid. Because I mean, you know, Batman's the guy that's traveled the world and mastered all kind of fighting skills. You, you know, he's gone. You know, he's done the meditation. He's done all that. Wouldn't you think he would have been able to let go of this childhood fear? You know, this bad memory uh, long ago in his training to be Batman. You know, I don't think he would... I, I don't know. I don't buy into him still carrying this to his day after a few years of being Batman and stuff. I think this would have been some some sort of ghost or skeleton in his closet that he would have worked off in his training be, to become Batman. You know, I think this is something that you'd have to work off before you would take on this sort of task to be a crime fighter. I don't know. That's just my whole thing with it. But I don't know. I, I see it, you know, I see it a couple of different ways. I see it on the one hand as maybe being a little bit of counter continuity because I thought it was established at one point that although Batman does not use firearms, he is still considered, you know, a master of them, you know, that he's a a crack shot and all that sort of thing, you know, even though we don't really see him utilize that. But at the same rate, I don't know. I really, I really liked this. I really liked this angle that, you know, I don't know that I so much like the idea that he would be paralyzed in fear of firearms, but that somewhere inside him, they unsettle him. And that's kind of what I took away from it is that I don't think that that's something you would ever be able to get over, you know, fully. 
you know, if you witness something like that as a as a child, I don't I don't think that's something that you're ever going to truly be able to suppress and and keep clamped down, you know, in your in your psyche. You know what I mean? I think that that's the traumatizing element that makes Batman who he is. So to that to that degree, he actually does have a bit of a split personality thing going on because he's got the one side of him that you know swore vengeance and you know was going to a avenge his parents and all that sort of thing but you know he's still got the side of him that actually witnessed all this that was traumatized by all this so i I think this was an attempt to kind of reconcile the two to bring them together and and realize that you know they they they're going to have to work with one another if they were going to succeed in in the mission and i like that i I thought that was a, a really interesting way to go and uh, I really liked the the interplay between both sides of his personality in this. That he's basically, you know, for yeah. for a lot of the the story in this, it's actually drawn where you know Bruce is very small and Batman is very big, and you know they're really arguing with each other. And some of the scenes were very reminiscent of some of the old Dick Grayson batman fights you know back when when they were having so many problems and things and trying to reconcile and bruce even says at one point you know i give up dick is right there's no winning with you and batman just says correct you know we never win and uh it's just it's really good but what i liked best was uh and and what kind of put me on to this title and I'll, i'll get into that in a minute at the end of the story he goes and he does purchase the gun and, you know, for the last three pages of this are completely silent. You know, there's there's no dialogue, no anything. We just get him returning to Wayne Manor, and it's it's very dark. You know, there's no lights or anything. He walks through these just absolutely immense hallways and giant rooms, and he gets to the room where there's, you know, that giant uh, portrait of his mother and father on the wall. And, you know, he's standing there with this gun that he just purchased, and, and he kind of relives the moment when the when Joe Chill killed his parents. And there's a really beautiful three-panel shot where we just see, you know, his face, and he's got his head bowed in front of the picture. And we just really barely can make out his his profile. And then we see just these, you know, huge tears start streaming down his face, and he just completely loses it in front of this picture of his, of his mother and father. And, you know, at the end of it, we just kind of see him, you know, just really just torn up over this at the end of the story. You know, he's, he's come to grips with the thing with the gun, but, uh, you know, it's almost like he, he, I kind of get the feeling that he feels almost like maybe he's betraying or dishonoring the memory of his parents or something. I don't know. It's, it's just, the emotion on his face and the way the the panel is portrayed at the end, I really like it. It goes back to uh, you know an old classic uh, story I remember from Detective way back in the day that I cannot recall the name of, but there was a similar thing where uh, you know Batman you know comes back after a night out busting heads and stands in front of the picture of his parents and just breaks down. And uh, so I, I like those little callbacks, but. The reason I picked this up is I've actually been trying to uh, to pick up the Devin Grayson um, issues of this series because I stumbled across this title a couple years ago totally by accident. I haven't read Batman with any regularity in a long, long time because I just didn't like the way the character 
you know, has, has kind of mutated in, in the way he's been portrayed in recent years, ever since about the Tim Burton movies, really. But there was an issue of Gotham Knights. It has, uh, I can't remember what number it is. It might be like 19 or something like that. It's got Aquaman on the cover with the giant penny behind him. And I just loved that story. It was uh, mostly a silent issue. And it was almost like a, a, a night in the life of Batman where he was just kind of hanging around the cave and hanging around Wayne Manor waiting for some crime to happen that never did. And so it just basically showed, it really gave a lot of insight into what he does in his night and just kind of tooling around the cave and stuff like that. And it, you just have to read it to appreciate it. it it's something that I, I don't think I could really adequately describe, but it's just, you, you really got the sense that this guy, you know, while Batman is often portrayed as being really cool and really awesome and he's got a, all these great toys and great villains and all that, this story made him seem very sad in a way. He's He was lonely, you know? He Here he was in this great big manor house, in this great big cave, and when there's no crime going on and nothing for him to do, he's actually pretty sad, you know? He, he, didn't, he doesn't really, you know, because of the way he treats people and the relationships that, that he's had and things, he, he doesn't really have friends, and he doesn't really have people to hang out with, and there's a, a moment in the story where he actually calls up to the JLA tower for no really good reason. And at the end of the story, Aquaman kind of realizes that he did it because he's lonely. And so Aquaman kind of comes and just kind of hangs out with him at the end of the story. And it was really, really good. And it, uh, and it just really put me onto Devin Grayson for the first time, who was, you know, it was a writer I was aware of, but didn't really know too much about or follow. So, I'm making an effort now that whenever I can run across these issues of uh, of Gotham Knights written by her, you know, on the cheap, I've been picking them up. And you know what? So far, they've all been fantastic. Each one of them is very much like that story. Just a little sliver, you know, a little bit of insight into his everyday life. And I really think that's more interesting than seeing another battle with, you know, the Joker and the Penguin. Is just a little bit of a, a, a sliver of you know, who he, who he is if he were real. And these stories make him feel very real. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend it. I, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, again, it kind of goes back to Batman's really existed. And this guy basically um, devoted his life to fighting crime. That's it. You know, you're not going to develop relationships with people. Right. The only relationships you deal with is your, you know, what you do. You know, that's it. His, he's pretty much married to fighting crime <laughs> right yeah and that's exactly the, the when angle. crime doesn't happen he's got nothing yeah. right that was the angle that story took was that you know when when you know there's an absence of anything for him to do you you kind of realized how small and pathetic his life was mm-hmm. and uh, and so did he you know in that story he very much felt the isolation of being in this giant house in this giant cave completely alone with no nobody you know no friends no loved ones no anything and uh, and you felt for the guy, you know. And uh, there was even a part where he kind of stood in front of his parents' picture, you know, in the bat in the manor at night, you know, in, in his bat gear. And you just had the sense of he was thinking, you know, about 
you know, what what might his life have been or would his parents approve? I've always wondered that, you know, if his parents could somehow see him from beyond death or whatever, you know, what would they think? You know, would they think that, you know, he was honoring them or would they think that he was wasting his life, you know, and all that potential he had, you know, in this pursuit of, of vengeance, uh, that was kind of what I took away from that story anyway. Alright, I'm going to lighten the mood after that downing story. Oh. Which actually, I would like to read it though. It sounds interesting. I'm not I'm not bashing on it. But I'm going to heighten the mood because I got here the first issue of a little series called Spider Boy. And uh, it's published by Amalgam Comics. Uh, cover dated April of 1996. This one is written by Carl Kershaw, who also does co-inking with art by Mike Waringo. It was awesome. And uh, also the other co-inker is Gary Martin. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the story is with Amalgam Comics, but all I know is that it's kind of this universe where uh, aspects of the DC and the Marvel universes are mixed together. Uh, you know, and they kind of just, uh, you know, they had characters like, you know, uh, Super Soldier. You know, it was kind of like a Captain America, Superman, Cross... Uh, they have, like, uh, X-Patrol, which is, like, Doom Patrol and the X-Men crossed over. Uh, a lot of that. I don't know if you know much about that, Scott. Maybe you could enlighten, enlighten me a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was part of the thing that uh, Marvel and DC had a crossover. It was actually billed as a versus. It was a four-issue uh, miniseries back, oh, gosh, this had to be in the mid-'90s. Yeah. Where you could actually go to your your LCS and vote on outcomes for particular fights, like Superman versus the Hulk and Batman versus Cap, and it's like the ultimate fanboy. Yeah, it really yeah. was. It was fanboy really package. quite the event. I mean, it was really a big deal, and it was hyped, you know, to high heaven. And it was it was pretty good. It, you know, it, it it had its moments, um, but one of the things they did was they actually have a, a portion of the book where, the, you know, the premise of the story basically was that Marvel and DC had to fight each other, and whoever won, their universe survived, and the other one went away. Huh. And somewhere in the course of the story, it ends up, you know, naturally it's a tie. And so what the powers behind all this decide to do is keep both universes, but they got to mash them together. And when they do the mashing together, that's how you wind up with guys like Super Soldier, who was an amalgam of Superman and Captain America, or Spider-Boy, who was an amalgam of, I believe, uh, Spider-Man and Superboy, I think. I don't know that I ever read that one. And there was other ones like Amazon, who was an amalgam of Wonder Woman and Storm, uh, Storm stuff like that. It was pretty interesting. Some of, the, some of the mashups were really good. Some of the teams they got to do the mashups were really good. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, that the whole thing with the Marvel DC, the the problem was is that then they kept doing sequels and sequels, and each one got just a little less cool and a little less interesting, and kind of the magic started to to fade out of it. But the uh, the initial one, you know, the the original four issue one was actually pretty cool. I just wish that they had uh, stuck a little more to their guns and and been a little more decisive in some of the fights because some of the some of the fights they had were really good, but it gave you it, you didn't walk away from it feeling like this had been a true fight so much as two companies, you know, had a lot of 
had a lot of red tape behind it so that none of the fights were terribly decisive. But uh, but it was interesting. All right. Well, in this issue, we kind of they bring you right into the universe. You know, I read this not really knowing much of the case of what the hell was going on, but uh, I just love it from the first page because Spider Boy he's in this lab where you've kind of got like uh, the amalgam verse of the Fantastic Four. And uh, he's battling this villain, villain known as Bizarnage, who's <laughs> a crossover between Bizarro and Carnage. Oh, <laughs> I think cool. it's hilarious. Yeah, it's awesome. Actually, it's pretty freaking cool. Uh, you know, they're just kind of battling it out because Bizarnage just happens to show up in this lab. Well, no, uh, again, my review skills. <laughs> Bizarnage got loose. I guess he was some sort of experiment in this laboratory. And he got loose somehow, and now Spider Boy has to fight him and uh, somehow capture him again. And, you know, it's just got them battling. And Spider-Boy, he's got, uh, instead of, like, web shooters, he has web guns. And he's kind of shooting them with those and, you know, hopping around and everything. And while this fight's taking place, everybody's wondering how did Bizarnage get out of uh, his holding containment. And, uh, you know, Ben Grimm, uh, who is actually, like, a governor in here, I think, he kind of goes after one of the fellow scientists, like, accusing him of letting it out. But then we get this sort of aside from the, the amalgam Reed Richards, who you get his thoughts, and it's like, uh, they, they think it's him, but let alone they don't know it was I, I who let Bizarnage loose. So, you, you know, oh, they're kind of giving it away. But then they come back right back, and the guy that they accused actually fed Reed Richards some sort of, like, evil pill to turn him evil in some sort of experiment, and that's what caused him to let Bizarnage loose, and now this other scientist is watching the effects. Just kind of like a, it's a little seed probably for future stories. Uh, from there, you know, you get Sue Richards, or, yeah, Sue Richards coming in, uh, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. now, and she's got, carrying along Kurt Connors, who, uh, you know, you know Kurt Connors in the Spider-Man, uh, books, that is the lizard. Turns out that, um, King Lizard has escaped and hurt Kurt Connors. The King Lizard was, uh, one of Connors' experiments, and now he's on the run in New York City crashing things up, so Spider-Boy is off to the rescue to fight him. Uh, as he uh, leaves, you know, he's going down like an escape tunnel, he comes across his best friend, which I thought this was awesome. It was, it, like, we've talked about Doc Ock on this show before, and kind of like the similarities between Peter Parker and Otto Octavius. Well, and here, they're best friends. And I thought that was, like, I thought that was really, really cool. That was just, that that made sense to me, you know. Because of those reasons, those characters are pretty similar if you look at them. And, you know, like, you know, Spider-Boy's hopping into this, like, super car that Ock has built. You know, basically, Ock is kind of like his um his cue to James Bond. You know, he builds them all as, like, his uh, equipment and gadgets and stuff. And, uh, you know, as he's hopping into the car to go fight uh, King Lizard, Ock shows him a, a copy of the Daily Bugle, which is um saying Spider-Boy... Uh, has married this character known as the Insect Queen, and it's kind of like spreading all this gossip about Spider Boy. And you know, it's apparent it's not true. You know, it's just J. Jonah Jameson uh, getting back at Spider Boy. But uh, he takes off, and while he takes off, we kind of get a flashback of um, how Spider Boy came to be. And in this universe, you know, uh, you have like their version of the Super Soldier Serum. Uh, and right here, you know, Thunderbolt Ross wants to recreate. Uh, the serum, so they, they devise this clone, which would end up being Spider-Boy, to, uh, you know, be this new so- super soldier. The Fantastic Four uh, were involved in creating him, but during the creation, there's an accident which explodes, like, the uh, containment which has Spider-Boy in it. So, he, he lives, uh, but 
Well, actually, I found this funny. The scientist that was helping, another scientist that helped me create Spider-Boy, uh, his name was Peter Parker, who was killed in the accident. But Spider-Boy comes out of it. He's not a full super soldier, but he's, you know, he's strong enough to be a uh, superhero. And from there, you know, Otto Octavius kind of takes it upon himself to raise him and be his, you know, you know, his good uncle, almost like an Uncle Ben type of figure. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you got that going on. But also, uh, it seems that um, Thunderbolt Ross kind of takes him under his wing, too. And he really does become the Uncle Ben figure. It turns out Uncle... Uh, he calls him Uncle Jen for uh, general. He ends up getting gunned down, and you know Spider Boy is off to uh, you know beat up the criminal. And he figures that you know, hey, I've got I've got these powers. I need to do something with them. And you know he dons a Spider Boy. So from there, you know we got our whole flashback, and Spider Boy is uh, you know he's landing down at the Daily Bugle because I guess he wants to check uh, see if uh, Jameson would want any photos of this King Lizard. So he's stopping in his his. Uh, his alias Pete Ross, and uh, you know Jameson's kind of giving him a hard time and everything, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, go get me photos, hurry up, you know, whatever." So he takes back off a of Spider Boy, and uh, he comes down to like this construction site where King Lizard's just kicking the crap out of these uh, workers, hard out, hard hat workers, and you know they just start getting in a tussle, and it seems that uh, for some reason that the you know the King Lizard is like growing as he fights Spider Boy. He's getting larger and larger. Like all, it turns out, you know, he come, kind of becomes like a Godzilla type figure, and it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, Shield shows up, and they're kind of hoping to take down King Lizard, but you know, they're not much. And uh, you know, before you know it, King Lizard's about two hundred feet tall and ripping apart New York City, and you got just Spider Boy swinging around his head, uh, just you know, barely even doing anything to him, and it's pretty funny. Uh, you know, then you know who's he gonna go to for? Uh, Who's the guy Spider Boy's gonna go to when you have a uh, creature that's growing exponentially in size? Of course, Hank Pym. You know, uh, the Ant. You know, Goliath, Yellow Jacket, whatever. Uh, you know, he goes to him for like a particle accelerator beam, and he uses a weapon to shoot down Killer uh, King Lizard, and uh, you know, shrinks him back down to a micro size and puts him in the microverse. And uh, that's kind of where we're left off with that. Uh, Ock shows up to make sure Spider-Boy's alright when he gets back uh, at the headquarters, you know, they're talking. And then we're left on a cliffhanger where I mentioned Insect Queen before. Well, she shows up at the end of the issue, and it turns out it is Mary Jane Watson as Insect Queen. And that's where we're left off for this issue. <laughs> I thought this was just a really a lot of fun. You know, it's got the Silver Age feel. Uh, it's almost like a what-if on the whole Silver Age, maybe the 60s of Marvel uh, I you know I love the Mike Waringo artwork. Uh, just one of my favorite artists. Uh, I think he's an awesome like especially for the Spider-Man type of stuff. I think he's like one of the definitive Spider-Man artists. Uh, you know he didn't do much for the character, but like you know in terms of issue numbers. But I think art-wise, I think he's awesome. I think he's he's right there and he fits this book so well. Uh, I, I, you know, it's got, it's, it's pretty dialogue heavy to kind of go along with that Silver Age feel, but, uh, you know, a lot of it is campy in a way too, but I think it has to be. I think for what it is, it has to be a little campy and, uh, just a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. And, uh, if I can ever hunt more of these down, I'm definitely going to go for them. It sounds really cool. As you were describing it, I was kind of picturing it in my mind and I was thinking, this sounds a lot like taking Spider-Man and putting him into like the the fifties Superboy stories, 
Yeah. And uh, that it actually sounds like it'd be a lot of fun to read something like that. You know, a nice mashup between you know Spider-Man and the and the Silver, you know, DC Silver Age. So it sounds cool. Now there yeah. was actually one more of those because um, there were, I believe, there were two different amalgam events, if I remember right. And uh, I know there's another Spider-Boy one. I can't remember what it's. It's something like. Spider Boy and Legion 2099, or something to that effect. Because I know the cover shows him with his web guns, and then just like a million superheroes behind him that are supposed to be like some sort of amalgam of like uh, like the Legion of Superheroes and either the Galactic Guardians or the 2099 characters. I forget, or some some sort of you know mashup like that. But uh, yeah, most of these. Uh, to my recollection, most of these amalgam books were only one issue, and then you know maybe there was one sequel in the in the second set of amalgam books because I know the Super Soldier one there were there were two different ones, but yeah, it's interesting. Um, I wonder if if any of these had ever been like a really huge hit, if DC and Marvel could have actually worked together, you know, to to continue one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, say, Super Soldier, for example, had been just huge if they would have actually worked out something where they would publish that title for a while or something. That would have been interesting, to you know, if, if, had they been able to go that route. Well, I know there's another book. It's, um, I need to read. I have it upstairs, thanks to Mr. Kyle Miner, who is the provider for this episode's issue. <laughs> <laughs> He's like our ever sponsor, I guess. But... Uh, yeah, I have, uh, Bruce Wayne, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, ah. it, that looks awesome. I want to read that. I'll probably end up talking about that soon. That looks really cool. I've got a bunch of these upstairs. I think they're, I have another one, like, um, Speed Demon. It's Ghost Rider crossed over with somebody else. I don't know who the DC counterpart The is. Flash, I think, possibly. Oh, Fla- Flash or Impulse or somebody like that. Yeah, I remember the cover for that one's really nice art. Yeah. But, uh, these look like a lot of fun, so, I, you know. I don't. It's kind of sad they couldn't pull something like this today, but it's pretty cool. And it's you know looking at it, you know, as a. I mean, this. I think this would have been really cool and exciting to have been reading. You know, when it was coming out. You know, as a fan, mm-hmm. uh, because you know it's just such a. You know, you, you, like the history of the two publishing companies, it's always been like a rivalry in a ways. I mean, not you know not that they hate each other, but you know, it, it's been competition. You know. Just friendly competition, and for them to kind of come together and do something, I think that's pretty neat, you know. And uh, I don't know, it just would have been cool to have been reading these when they were coming out. It was quite the event at the time. You know, there were there were you know they had everything. They had hats and T-shirts and the whole nine yards. It was, uh, you know, it was like a almost like a summer blockbuster movie without the movie. You know, it was mm-hmm. that big. Um, pretty pretty cool stuff though. Awesome. Well, does that wrap this one up, Scott? We got it in the can. Number 15 done. That's it. Get out of here. Come back next week. Bye. Go outside and get some sun. Go to hell. That wraps up another episode of Back to the Bins. If you want to contact the show, please email at backtothebins at gmail.com. 
All content featured within this episode is a sole property of myself and Scott Gardner. No rebroadcasting or retransmission of this content is permitted without the written consent of myself or Scott. Back to the Bins is an Alec Berry, Scott Gardner production, copyright 2009. Please join us again next time and we will travel back. Back to the Bins. <laughs>